Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to this new episode of the Realistic Optimist podcast. Today, I have the honor of being joined by Leila Ben-Gassem. Uh, she's a Tunisian social entrepreneur who is uh, specialized in cultural preservation, uh, social enterprise, and more specifically, a pioneer in the social enterprise ecosystem in Tunisia. Uh, so Leila, go ahead, introduce yourself and tell us what you're working on. Uh, yes, thank you for the invitation, Timothy. Very excited to be on your podcast. Um, so yes, I'm a, I'm a social entrepreneur. I have two businesses. Uh, the first business is called Bluefish, which I started in 2006. And uh, we work mainly on improving the economic dynamic of heritage to improve its sustainability. I think we underestimate the potential of our culture and heritage in the whole region and uh, the, how it could create uh, jobs and, uh, and positive stories for the communities. So we invest in that. It could be just to make it simple. It could be helping an artisan export her products. It could be um, historical building, uh, making it, uh, repurposing it into something that creates jobs and sustain itself and re restore itself. Uh, it could be also working with, uh, with cities to improve their marketing. Uh, my second business, as you mentioned, is, uh, is a guest house called Derbingesem, which, uh, which the business started in 2013. Um, it's also a social enterprise and uh, it had been a beautiful adventure or journey since the start. Okay, awesome. Uh, so I, I took a look at the Bluefish website. And one of the things I saw, and I think this kind of explains maybe your involvement in it, is uh, your stated kind of worry that a globalized world can have the effect of kind of erasing uh, local cultures. So from what I saw that like the field you're working in right now is not your training at all. Uh, so when did you kind of, uh, you know, make yourself aware of that problem and you're like, okay, I have to do something for this. Yes, uh, Timothy. Um... I'm a, I'm a biomedical engineer by education, um, and uh, it's a fascinating field, which uh, I was working in uh, before starting my own business. So I did that for more than 10 years, and, um, and um, I became obsessed with two things. Um, one is social entrepreneurship. Um, I think it's, it's magical to have a business that has an impact beyond um, return, financial return on investment. I think to have financial return on investment plus um, other profits such as um, communi communal profits or uh, environment gains or uh, social development or uh, sustaining cultures, I think it's, it's, it's the, the most exciting thing. I, th I think finding the balance between um, between a, a sustainable, a financially sustainable business that also makes um, impact for its community um, is something I became uh, very passionate about. Um, so that's one reason why I, um, I, I decided to start on my own. Uh, but also, um, as, you, as you mentioned, uh, it's mentioned on my uh, Bluefish website, I think I think um, um, it's I think there's a uh, there's a, a lot of magic and beauty in in different cultures and having this human diversity. Um, but despite this diversity in the world, I mean, culture is is food, is humor, is music, is uh, um, is uh, uh, the way you live, the, what makes you laugh, what makes you cry. 
Uh, I think it's, it's beautiful that there are so many cultures uh, in the world, but at the same time, I think that um, uh, globalization or new technologies um, are, are making us more similar, but I think we can also use them uh, to keep the diversity, um, communicate better about the diversity and create opportunities um, through cultures to preserve it. And I think this is another magical, uh, um, magical aspect that I like to work on. So these two things combined together made me start a company called Bluefish in 2006. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to talk more about Bluefish because it seems it's, it's a bit all encompassing. It's just, you know, serving different projects at once. So, you know, what, what are the concrete projects that you're working on with Bluefish? Do you only work in Tunisia or do you do consulting for other countries or cities that also want to, you know, take a step forward and preserve their heritage while uh, benefiting from it uh, economically? Um, I, I like to describe Bluefish as a journey and not, not exactly a business uh, because we've been through stages and I think every, every business, I think today, especially now with, uh, with all that's happening with COVID-19 and all its uh, um, survival is the new growth and there's no way you can survive without adapting yourself and change. Change is becoming um, an important, uh, um, important survival tool. So we, we need to always be alert to uh, new changes. And I mean, Bluefish, we have always been working on reviving heritage and improving the economic dynamic of uh, heritage and culture. But through, through the years, since 2006 until today, um, we've been through stages. So I started with uh, working with artisan groups to help them um, export. But in doing that, I realized that uh, um, for them to sustain their exports, they need to learn um, to be equipped with other entrepreneurial tools. So I started developing that, which, which could, could vary from pricing your product right to understanding the, um, the target market needs and colors and shapes and, and items. Um, so I started working on that and then I realized that that is also uh, not enough. We need to tell better stories and I think a lot of artisans, not only in Tunisia, Tunisia but everywhere, uh, sometimes they underestimate themselves when they tell their stories. It could be like a sixth generation saddle maker and it's the last thing he would mention it to you. All he talks about is, is his saddle. So I think there's, uh, there's magic in the story that we're not telling. And this is how I started working more on promoting and telling a, a positive story, an exciting story about um, our culture and heritage. And in doing that, I realized that we also need to in incorporate that in, um, in tourism. I mean, cultural tourism is an exciting thing. I think tourism, you don't just travel to a country, you need to experience the country. And to experience the country, you need to make friends, you need to um, enjoy the, the food, the smells, the, the, um, the, what makes them laugh, what makes them cry. And it's, it's, all, it's, it's this experience that makes you, um, makes you it, 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 it's important on two sides, because on two aspects, because if, if the richer the experience, the cultural tourism experience is, the more uh, you will feel um, positive about it and, and promote it yourself and want to go back to it. Um, but also the more, the, the richer the experience, it, it creates more shared economy. So it's not just the hotel that is making 
business out of your visit. It's it's the hotel, it's the artisan, it's the restaurant, it's the cafe, it's the taxi driver, it's the, <laughs> the bus driver. So it's uh, it's it creates a better shared economy, and uh, and uh, I think this is exciting. Um, so so now uh, now with Bluefish, we're working more and more with cities to help cities tell their stories. Um, and to tell their stories, you need to, uh, to, uh, to, to make it more uh, inclusive to its youth, to its women, to all the, um, all the human uh, elements that, that make the culture uh, vibrant and lively in, in the city. So it's, it's interesting you talk about that because a couple of days ago, I talked to uh, a Swiss professor who works in Medellin, Colombia. Um, and he was saying that Medellin was actually almost too successful in promoting its culture and heritage in the sense that, you know, they had a huge influx in tourists and that it was kind of mellowing down the local culture is kind of becoming very tourist focused. Uh, so how, you know, how does a city that wants to promote their culture um, and get tourists also doesn't go too far uh, in the sense that the tourists kind of mellow down the culture. That's exactly the, the challenge that you referred to as uh, and what, what I was what I was saying by meaning using the, the, uh, the globalization tools to improve the sustainability of each culture. And I think I think to do that you, it needs to be more inclusive. It needs to it needs to um, uh, it needs to imp- include the the um, uh, the youth, the, the 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 young people in the community, they need to be the uh, the defenders of uh, the existing culture. They need to carry it. They need to um, take it on, adapt it, and present it. I mean, culture is a dynamic concept, really. If it if, it, if something is not, uh, and I think food is the most sustainable culture. So, <laughs> food food everything. I mean, maybe we will change in clothing or. Um, even even humor sometimes, but uh, food is the most sustainable culture. But I think for a community to sustain its culture, it needs to uh, keep on reviving it, keep on reinterpreting it, keep on giving it a new meaning, um, and uh, it needs to come from them. So the more inclusive it is, um, the more sustainable the culture will be. And I think this is this is exactly where, where um, uh, we love to work on in Bluefish. It's really taking the the local culture and um, uh, reinterpreting it for today's uh, needs. By reinterpreting, we don't mean uh, transforming it, uh, but we mean uh, use, use, using it as a base to create new um, new cultural uh, realities. Again, culture is a dynamic concept. So, but it really needs to come from there, from the uh, the people, the community where you're working on. So, so if a city comes to Bluefish today and says we want to, you know, revive our culture, attract tourism, etc. Uh, what are some of the steps that, you know, con- concrete steps that you encourage them to take? Uh, are there any programs that work more than others? Uh, are there any cities in the world that are examples of, you know, ha- striking that right balance between local culture and also tourism? I think, uh, I think it, would, it would need to work on shared economy, on uh, working on the existing small businesses. Every city has its own uh, little restaurant, little cafe, uh, maybe a young person who, who 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 is passionate about their city and can take people um, on tours in the city. So it's really taking what is existent. Um, maybe there is a, a famous lady cook 
um, that everybody knows she makes the best local recipe there. Um, maybe there's a, a famous uh, musician from the community. Maybe he's not famous, but he's still passionate about music from the local community. So it's really taking um, the, the, the human capital and, and creating um, um, tours, creating themes, creating uh, stories, um, creating experiences um, that, in, that are carried out by the local community, by, um, if I may call them, I don't know if it's the right word or not, like uh, 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 carriers of, of culture, you know, like the um, a, a young person who knows uh, where is the, uh, the best uh, sandwich in the, in the city or, uh, um, or the best, the cafe with the best scene of uh, people passing by. <laughs> Or the best flea market uh, um, store. So it's it's really creating um, a story from the existing uh, micro businesses, the existing people, and what what they are good at, or what they are passionate at, at, or what they want to share from the local culture. And I think this will be the most authentic. Uh, and, and also more sustainable because it's coming from what people like. It's not something that that you're telling them to do. You, you don't just come to someone and say, okay, you become a guide. No, some people are very passionate to tell the story of the city. And I think we need to invest in them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to touch upon you said what people like uh, because I had two follow-up questions. The first is, do you think, at least that's what I, I'm French, um, and I've been seeing my generation not shying away from globalization, but valuing local products uh, now that we know the impact on, on pollution of global supply chains, et cetera. Um, do you think that you know our generation and just this current with COVID, it's exacerbated. Do you think that people are, are naturally moving towards uh, local production, local buying? And if so, how do we capitalize on that? Uh, yes, I think yes. Uh, Covid nineteen is forcing us to consume local, to to be local tourists, uh, to adapt our services. Even me myself at my guest house, I'm I'm also adapting because I've been, I, I mean I started the business seven years ago and I've 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 been targeting foreigners mainly and now uh, Covid is forcing me just like many people like me if if they want to sustain their business to to think local, to think what the locals need and what the, the locals, um, how to adapt my services and my experiences to, to um, local demand. But yes, totally, it's not just that. It's, and um, I mean, of course, COVID-19 has caused a lot of uh, economic hardship and, and sadness in families, but uh, on the, um, on, Sadly, also, but everything is has a good and, and negative side. So, on the, on the positive side, it's it's forcing forcing us to to innovate, to create new experiences, um, to think local, uh, to support each other, uh, to cherish um, to cherish shared economy between us, um, to become uh, more empathetic uh, to our communities. Um, I think <clears throat> I think this is this is also part of the survival tools for this this tough period of time. Yeah, I definitely agree with the positive and negative side of COVID. It's it's always a bit uncomfortable to see the positive side of a pandemic, but I mean, just in environmental terms, it's kind of undeniable. Um, I'd like to circle back to what you said about about artisans 
and how to integrate artisans into this global economy. I was curious about how you go about that. So do you set up a website for them or do you focus on making them sell locally? Uh, what do you teach them that they don't know? Uh, how can artisans teach us about uh, different businesses practices? Uh, yes, it's, uh, well, with, uh, with so many years of experience in helping artisans export their products, um, I, it's, it's sometimes hard to, to put it in a few sentences, but I think, um, I think artisans are very creative people. They are super passionate about uh, um, their uh, uh, manual intelligence, if, if I may call it that way. They, they produce beautiful things. Um, but um, often, um, often they are small businesses that don't have the um, the technical um, know-how, or not not because of they can't, but because it's a small business. I myself, I'm a small business, and I understand. But um, but ex export uh, export is a is a uh, needs a totally different skills. Uh, if if you sell your product for for ten dollars locally, you cannot uh, offer ten dollars to someone abroad because you need to buy a box, you need to pay the shipment, you need to pay the customs. You so there's uh, there's all these uh, pricing know-how that you need to understand. It's just it's just a matter of understanding them. So this is one thing through Bluefish that we try to explain to our artisans to ensure that they um, they can sustain their businesses or even make their businesses uh, more resilient through export. It should not be the other way around. And often they they miscalculate or or they they ignore some important costs, and and this of course can can threaten their business. The other the other important tool is 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 is, uh, is visibility on social media. And this is again, um, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very careful in, in in saying that it's a positive uh, aspect of COVID again. But uh, it, COVID has forced us to, to improve our online presence, uh, has, has, has made us uh, master the communications um, online. I, I, personally, with all the lockdowns I've been through and trying to keep my business and uh, some artisans that we support, I think, um, I think we, I've been a lot more efficient sitting at home, <laughs> trying to communicate with the world and promoting what what I do, what artisans do. Uh, so I think I think now the world is a lot more open. So um, an artisan in um, in in the cor any corner of Tunisia can can put a picture on Instagram and then get someone from anywhere on the, in the world sitting in their living room asking for that carpet or for that jar or for that necklace. Uh, and this is, this is fascinating, but it also requires a, a lot of uh, skills development of our artisans um, to be able to communicate, to, uh, um, to um, also, also understanding, understanding the market needs. Um, because now I think, especially in the craft sector, it's, it's a sector that's going more towards um, um, B2C and not so much B2B. And uh, this, is, this is also a whole different uh, uh, mindset. You don't communicate with someone sitting in their home looking for a carpet, <laughs> uh, just like a, a department store looking to buy 100 pieces. So it's a, it's a totally different philosophy. It's a totally different costs, uh, communications. 
um, but also humor. It's the, the way you communicate. It's not in the same way. So, um, so it's it's again, uh, COVID is pushing us, is, is forcing forcing us to to be um, more human in our communications. Um, and uh, and I think the the storytelling has never been so important with people sitting at home in lockdown, <laughs> um, thinking about the world and uh, how they can contribute from um, from their home. Yeah, I mean, talking about lockdown, uh, I'd like to talk about something that was probably hard for you, but uh, was the hotel, the boutique hotel that you opened. Um, I'd love to know the backstory behind that, and also. If anyone in another country wants to start the same project, what mistakes did you make that they should not make? <laughs> oh, what mistakes? I, we need another podcast for four hours. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but uh, yes, it's, it's not exactly a hotel. It's a guest house. It's, uh, um, in fact, Darbingesum, uh, the guest house, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it used to be a family home. Uh, not uh, my home, but uh, a family called Anun lived in this house for 300 years. It's a seven-bedroom house, um, and, uh, and they were master perfumers in the Medina, what we call Medina, the historical urban part of Tunis. And uh, so um, um, we bought we bought uh, their home, and uh, we spent about seven years restoring it. It's uh, it's uh, it was built around 17th century. Uh, so once the restoration was finished, uh, it became a bed and breakfast with seven rooms. Um, and of course, it's uh, it's a beautiful uh, it's a it's a beautiful um, beautifully architecturally decorated with the different uh, uh, cultures that came by in the Medina of Tunis. So the, the, there's plenty of uh, um, of harmony with the, uh, with the, it's, it's Tunisian today, but it has architectural elements from from um, the Andalusis, from the Ottomans, from the Arabs, from all cultures that uh, that are mixed together to to make it Tunisian today. Um, we we have so we are in seven years in business. We've had uh, sixty two nationalities so far, and uh, and uh, we offer room, breakfast, and meals. Uh, and we try often to create a shared economy with artisans around us. So you can you can come stay with us and spend two hours with a calligrapher, or you can watch a shoemaker make shoes, or you can take a tour in the Medina, or you can experience some street food. So we create experiences too, so that uh, small businesses around us can also benefit from um, from uh, the business we create at, at our guest house. Of course, when uh, when the lockdown started, it was extremely tough for the business. We had to close down for two months. Um, so we had to also reject uh, uh, bookings. We had to. Um, I, I mean, I, I, of course, I, we we were worried at the beginning. In the beginning, I think the whole world was very worried. We did not have. We don't did not. I mean, when you don't know it, the the virus, you don't understand how the virus works. We were a lot more scared than now. <laughs> now we kind of understand what should be done to uh, uh, to make all the safety um, health precautions. But uh, we had to close down for two months, and it was very difficult. We had to start draining from our savings. 
it was extremely important for me to keep the, the, the business going and the team, um, keep the team um, uh, working. So uh, we started draining our salaries, and um, and then and then it was the lockdown was off, but we had plenty of restrictions, so it was very hard to work. Um, August September were a nightmare because we had a lot of bookings, but uh, people kept on uh, cancelling their bookings. Some uh, the flights were cancelled often. Uh, people were not allowed to take off. People were not allowed to leave the airport in Tunis, and it was <laughs> um, it was a little bit uh, complicated with. Uh, with um, unhappy unhappy travelers um, and then we, we decided I sat with the team and we decided to start innovating creating new services looking at new things to try and um, ever since it's uh, it's it's very very tough but it's uh, it's scary and exciting scary because uh, for the first time I cannot forecast nobody can forecast during COVID <laughs> It's, it's really, it's almost impossible to plan. We live just day by day, but it's also exciting because it's a time where you can experiment, you can try, you can play, you can, there's nothing to lose. <laughs> so um, we're trying to do some exciting events and, and online, uh, um, our Instagram EGTV is very uh, active now. And uh, just to keep the business running and the team and the door um, open. I, I hope I'll be the next guest as uh, soon as I can. I'm coming over. Um, I, and so as a hotel, what are the innovations that you've taken? Because I mean, the hotel probably seems like the hardest business to innovate or to sustain during COVID. You couldn't have, choose, <laughs> couldn't have chosen worse. Um, but so, so yeah, what, what are the things? Do you do online events with artisans? How have you been able to, to keep yourself afloat? Yes, so we've done uh, we've done some interesting things, and I think uh, they are modest experiments. But uh, some, of course, some of are successful, some are not. But uh, I think we have um, we we are trying to create events around the, the cultural treasures around us. So it could be um, a cooking workshop. Uh, it could be a virtual tour. Uh, it could be a um, also, um, we have organized an interesting debate. So, um, a debate that is open to the public, but the public is not really there physically. <laughs> so, we invite um, historians who can um, who can share the origin of uh, some of the pottery we have in the house, um, the tiles decorating the walls, <coughs> um, the food, Tunisian food, who brought what, when, and how it became. Uh, who added uh, this to the couscous and who made that spicy and who <laughs> and and what did uh, what did the, the the royals in 1772 eat uh, during the wedding uh, so it's um, again it's 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 really exciting we've done a few events with calligraphers also um, and uh, often tours tours for families um, so it's uh, again. It's COVID has pushed us to um, really try hard to uh, to innovate and uh, create interesting um, experiences, um, whether physically with a lot of um, uh, safety precautions or, or virtually. Uh, and it has kept us. Uh, it has helped us survive the business so far. 
Okay, well, that's good. That's all that counts for now. Um, I'd, I'd like to shift away from, from COVID because I think we talk about it enough this year. Um, but what was the initial reaction of, you know, the, the locals when you built the hotel? How did they feel about having a bunch of foreigners in their, in their neighborhood? Uh, because I think that's, that's a legitimate concern for anyone who would want to start this type of project. Yes, uh, thank you for asking. It's a, it's a very important question, especially if, if, you, if, you, if you build a, a tourism project within a, a dense uh, residential community. Uh, so it is a, terrible, a very legitimate concern um, with the families around us. And uh, uh, we've had, it was difficult in the beginning. It was a little bit challenging in the first six months, 12 months. Um, but I think <coughs> a key, um, uh, if I may, a key um, integration factor uh, for, uh, and which is also crucial for the success of the business, is to, uh, to, um, uh, to be inclusive of the community. So, uh, in fact, as you know, Darbingism, the guest house is a social enterprise. So all of our team are, are from the neighborhood. Um, all of our suppliers are from the neighborhood and all of our profits uh, are reinvested in the, in the community. So uh, in, in, in this sense, um, I think now um, the community realizes that it's, 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 it's a business that is there to develop their own community. It's not a business that's there just to uh, drain out <coughs> um, Profit. So we, um, I think, I think now after seven years, uh, we are well integrated. But also, uh, the community feels that it's their business. The the uh, the little store across the street feels that it's their business. Their business because he is our supplier. Um, the the artisans around us. They're the ones who maintain, um, main, provide maintenance um, for the for the dar. Um, many of the young people in the community have been to or were part of some of our events. Um, we, have, we have developed some, some projects for young people and, um, <clears throat> and, this, helps, and this helps make it um, uh, secure, uh, make uh, integration in the community uh, better. And I think I strongly believe that it's it's crucial for the sustainability of uh, of businesses, especially if they are uh, within uh, in, uh, residential areas. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a legitimate concern for for anyone trying. But I guess, as you said, you have to present the positive side of it to the residents. Be mindful of of the fact that it's their space after all. Um, I'd like to finish with just a broader talk about. Tunisia, uh, how has the social entrepreneurship ecosystem grown since the revolution? I saw in one of your uh, interviews that you said, I quote, um, Tunisia is a mess in the right direction, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, so, you know, how, how, is the develop, how is the sector developing? What more can be done? What more should be done? And uh, how do you see it evolving in the future? Uh, yes, uh, the social entrepreneurship ecosystem has uh, has bloomed since the since the revolution ten years ago. 
Um, I think I think that's one of the main gains of um, of the 2011 revolution, which we're celebrating. <coughs> it's 10 years um, this weekend. Um, so it's it, it has it has allowed before the revolution there was really no civil society there was really no um, it was it was the government and the government and the government that solves problems and knows what is good for us. So Tunisia after the revolution there's <coughs> there's a very important um, ecosystem today of of uh, NGOs of um, um, uh, of um, uh, social entrepreneurs, of um, young people who are trying different things and creating NGOs within the universities and and trying to solve their problems all over the country. So it's it's um, this is why I call it a mess because you know you, you, everybody's trying everything, everybody wants to solve every problem, uh, but of course not everybody knows the solution or has the resources. Um, uh, some, sometimes it's just people that making loud noise and there are some people who are really doing important impact but without noise and <laughs> there's everything in between. Um, so this is, this is how, why it looks like a mess, but uh, at least we have started, at least we're doing something, uh, at least we're going in the right direction, I'm confident, and, um, and at least youth uh, can um, can really solve their own problems, and I mean, it's like it's like unleashing the potential of, of young people to try uh, to try different things. Um, of course, with with COVID, it's not easy. It's it's just like any country on earth. That's there's uh, the economic impact. I think we we still don't know <laughs> how far it will go, and uh, this is making it challenging for everyone. But um, so we don't know how we're going to come out of it. <laughs> I think every, every country is struggling for now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the power of, uh, of youth. Uh, so I'd love to, to continue on that. So, you know, for, for you, what's the, what are the main attributes that the youth today has? I mean, speaking for myself, I, I know I, I'm very lucky and very grateful for everything I, I have, but I feel like Compared to my parents' generation, I, I'm way more connected to the world, uh, not only to the good side, but also to all of its bad sides. But that makes me more aware. Um, and I think that might be why we're seeing a rise in social entrepreneurship. You know, if you're young and you want to start a company today, you know that the world is full of problems. You have, to, you have been exposed to them. So it's almost, you know, non-ethical to start a no, non-social impact business uh, today. So... Speaking for the Tunisian youth, what what strengths do they have, and uh, what steps should they take in in your opinion? Yes, it's it's very important what you have just said. It's I think I think it's uh, young people young people now have um, they they see the world differently from people my age when we were your age. Um, I think now I mean uh, especially in Tunisia we. I mean, there are every. I think every sector needs needs transformation. The the education sector, the healthcare sector, the the the, the trading sector. The every sector needs um, the the banking sector. Every sector needs uh, transformation. I think uh, young people. They, as you said, um, rightly said, they are super connected. Uh, they know what's happening in the world. Um, <clears throat> They know how, how other countries are solving their problems. 
um, they totally understand <coughs> sometimes better than people my age and older what needs to be done to solve the problems. <laughs> so um, you're totally right. I think I, I get so many invitations from uh, young people in universities in Tunisia to talk about social entrepreneurship. I think every week um, there's uh, someone who contacts me to speak, um, to meet and discuss their business idea. And it's often uh, has a has a social aspect to it. Uh, and, and this is very exciting, but I think I think it's 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 exciting for me because I'm obsessed social entrepreneur, but it's also maybe frustrating for young people because it's uh, um, it's not just creating a business for to 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 live out of it. It's uh, I think the, the young people today have a um, heavier weight on their shoulders because they feel they want to solve problems with the environment, they want to solve problems with corruption, they want to solve problems <laughs> with. Um, regional uh, development uh, so often i meet them and and um, they're super open with what's happening in the world and they see what's missing in tunisia and uh, they feel uh, almost obliged to to find a way to uh, um, to seize the opportunities but also solve the problems and create a financially sustainable model so i think it's it's quite tough it's quite tough at uh, at such a young age well, it's, that's a challenge our generation has, but I, I'm pretty confident we can we can do it because I think we also, we probably have large problems, but we also have more tools than anyone has ever had in the history of humanity. Um, so yeah, th this is where I think we can end our podcast. It's a good end note. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Leila, for, for joining me today. I'll attach uh, all of your projects as links in the podcast description. And uh, yeah, uh, I hope we'll stay in touch. Good luck, Timothy. Bravo Thank for you. what you do. Good luck. Merci, merci. <laughs> Au revoir. Bye. Au revoir.